Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. <clears throat> AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Body Bags with Joseph Scott Morgan. Finding a safe harbor. Finding a place of peace. I think that most people long for that. You know, when, when you've, you've lived a life and you've taken care of your, of your family, your kids, you've done the best that you can and sometimes even the best that you can do is not enough. Many times you'll have to take care of your grandkids. That's happened over and over again. And it's happened in the past, it's happening right now, and it'll happen in the future. But you know, when you have a big heart and you love your family, You'll do just about anything in the world for them. Even bringing a grandchild to a location that is your place of peace. 
And it is that which I want to speak of today. I'd like to talk about a place of peace because it's in this place that two grandparents with open arms and open hearts were murdered and left in the basement of their home. And that home, that place of peace, was set ablaze to cover up any evidence left behind. I'm Joseph Scott Morgan, and this is Body Bags. Dave, when I grew up, when I was a kid, I grew up during the time of Walter Cronkite on TV, as you did too. I know that. Yep. And, uh, uh, you know, Roger Mudd and all those guys. And we saw the hippies, right? You'd see the hippies at night on on, on television. And they, you know, they, they were curious, you know, when you'd see them. It, it was a curious thing. But one of the things that came out of that is that we began, as time went by, you began hearing hearing this weird word that really wasn't part of, I don't think, uh, the lexicon in, you know, the fifties and early sixties of America. And that's the word commune. Oh, I knew it, you were going to go. There. Huh. <laughs> it's kind of a, it's kind of a, an odd, an odd thing. And some people would say that it's got kind of a, I don't know, kind of a commie-esque vibe to it, you know, com- commune, communism, Actually, you know, sharing is, things. That's communal sort of living. That's yeah. What communal living. Yeah. These people had this idea. They're on this beautiful, picturesque settlement created by a grandma and grandpa who take in their 29-year-old grandson to share. I know you're from the West Coast. I've been out in this region. I've seen the Olympia Mountains, which were breathtaking. And it's different than the big mountain chain, you know, with the like Mount St. Helens and all that. It's different than that. Is this the Puget Sound This area? is the Pacific think- Northwest. Yeah. If you think about SeaTac, okay, Seattle, Tacoma. They do have a lot of beautiful area, water, islands. Yeah. There's all kinds of neat places out there. Beautiful. And in this particular case, I'm thinking about this grandpa and grandma that everybody loved, Joe. Right. They, these people, when I mean, obviously we're talking about their murder, a grandma and grandpa that were murdered. And it wasn't just um, a home invasion that went bad. This was an internal, and it was horrible. It was horrific what happened to these two people who everybody loved when they actually had a memorial service for them a year after their death. You know what everybody did? They celebrated their lives by talking and sharing great stories about them. And it it makes you tear up when you think about the one thing you want people to do is to appreciate you when you're gone. You know what kind of person you are. And that's all any of the people in this community said was, why these were the yeah. two people that when their grandson had some issues and needed a place, they opened up their doors and all of his problems, they welcomed them. Come on. We're a loving place. Be here with us, grandson. And what did the grandson do? Well, the neighbors say that they called nine one one because they started hearing explosions and then they saw fire. They saw fire at their neighbor's house. Where the where Joanna Gormley and Ted Ralston lived, and so fire company shows up. Joe, what they find is pretty despicable. Joanna's like 
73 and I think Ted's like 71, correct? Yeah, that's exactly it. When firefighters respond to something like this and when they show up and you know, you've, you've got the, the initial reports that are coming in and they're hearing that there have been explosions. The mm-hmm. first thing I think that most firefighters will think is there an active gas line in the house? I, I actually, many years ago, I had a, I had a case where, uh, um, um, a uh, male delivery person pressed the doorbell on a home and a gas stove had the eye wide open and it leveled the house, killed the mail carrier. Wow. This was many, many years ago. Yeah. And so, and it, it leveled the house. I mean, down to the foundations. It was, a I thought that was event. just something out of a Schwarzenegger movie, like in no. the movie eraser, when he turned, he broke the gas thing and turned the thermostat up. And when it kicked on, boom. No, no, it, it does happen. And it has wow. happened a number of times and all it takes. And it's a very, uh, that environment in which that occurs, uh, is, is very volatile. And so you, when you have firefighters that show up at a scene like this, it, it's absolutely horrific. They get into the scene and they're trying to extinguish what remains of a fire right. that has been left burning. He, here's the thing, because, you know, when, People like myself get involved in a death investigation that involves fire. You know who we lean on that most people don't consider to be forensic scientists um, are arson investigators. And I have to tell you, as a forensics guy, arson investigators to me are heroes. I mean, they, because they are, they are in their purest form a forensic investigator because they can do things and see things in an environment that is charred and scarred and dangerous that the rest of us cannot see. You see, arson investigators show up, obviously, after the fire has been extinguished, okay? And the work that firefighters do, the arson investigators have to make sense of all that's left behind. And that's not an easy task because let me tell you what they're up against. Not only are they up against uh, an explosion that may have taken place, which is going to kind of blast out a particular area. If there was a a device or an active gas line in that area, it's going to greatly destroy the immediate area. Now, that's good and bad because that gives us an indication of where this occurred if you've got a blast area. Uh, Then you've got all of the burning that's taken place. And you you think about electrical outlets, all those things that you might look at to see as a point of origin for the fire. Uh, Then you're talking about structural collapse as well, you know, where uh, the roof many times on a structure will cave in. And not only that, but, you know, um, firefighters, when they go in, if, if people at home have never seen a pike pole, which firefighters carry, it's a long pole that's got a hook on the end of it. What they will do is they will walk into a space where a fire has taken place. And they'll go up into the ceiling with the thing and pull it down really hard. What they're doing when they're doing this is to check to see if there's any active fire still going on above head. And this does happen. I actually had a beam collapse on my head one time at a scene. I wore a fire helmet on every other subsequent case I ever worked on. It had medical examiner written on the top of it because it's, it scared me. Uh, the most dangerous scenes I've ever been on have been fire. I've been shocked before. Uh, I had, uh, had electricity run through my, my 
my shoe through my boot. I arced uh, out of the scene. They're very, very dangerous. Uh, and so there's there's danger around every corner. So an arson investigator has to go into this just terribly chaotic environment and to assess what has happened in this environment. Because, you know, fires don't just spontaneously begin. They're, they originate from somewhere. And you have to understand, first off, is it an act of God, like a lightning strike, perhaps? Um, was it a careless activity that someone was gauging? Hey, maybe they're burning leaves in the backyard and some of those hot leaves roll up onto the roof and it starts a fire on the roof of the house. Or, or maybe somebody left a candle burning and it catches a, a curtain on fire. It, you never know. Or is it something far darker where you go into an environment and you wind up discovering that someone has intentionally set a fire in order to cover up a misdeed. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Years ago, when I got out of my field full-time, I was diagnosed with PTSD. I had sleep disorder. I had depression. And for me, I had to turn to someone to talk to, somebody that could aid me along the path to healing, to restore me to that person that maybe I was at one point in time, to make me better for not just myself, but my family. If you're thinking about therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You can do this anytime that you like. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com bags today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com. That's better. H-E-L-P.com slash bags. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. A lot of us that work in my field um, suffer from nightmares. Uh, it's a consequence of, of the work that we do, the things that we see. Um, personally, my reoccurring nightmare was that I was uh, on a barge flowing, uh, on a barge that was on the Mississippi River spinning out of control and I was completely surrounded by 
decomposing bodies and I couldn't escape them. And uh, the flies were all over me and I had this reoccurring nightmare that would happen over and over and over again. And I went through many years of therapy as a result of being diagnosed with PTSD. I had a friend of mine who was an Emmy investigator and he always had reoccurring nightmares, fires. He, he worked a scene that really got to him where he had an entire family uh, and it was upwards of six people that all burned to death in his house. And they had gathered together in one spot and died together in that spot. Huh. And for some reason, that and he'd worked multiple homicides. He was really a top-notch investigator. But for some reason, that one case impacted him. I'm no fan of fires, all right? Uh, they didn't impact me the way they did my friend. But still despite all of the horror, you still have to try to figure things out, Dave. And many times that's very difficult in these environments. Well, in this particular case, and I'm, I know that neighbors have called because they have this senior couple that they're worried about. The neighbors were struck by the explosion. They heard the noise and then they saw the flame. So to see something like that, you know, an event has taken place. So when the fire people get there, I don't know what's going through their heads, you know, because they just know there are two older people that live in this house and they're not outside. So they're either inside and trapped or something bad, but there is a a younger person, 29 years old who does live with them. Can't find him either. See his car out here, but they go in to try to find, is there anybody in here? Maybe the older couple is hurt, whatever. And they go in and they find them. They find Joanna Gormley and Ted Ralston. Joanna and Ted are downstairs at this house. They were laying side by side. And when the, you mentioned your friend found these people in a home where they were all cloistered together for survival. Um, that's not what happened here because these experts knew these bodies were found in a suspicious position. Yeah. They were laid side by side. They had been dragged down the stairs. So now the firemen know this is not a fire that right. caused these deaths. Something happened first. I, yeah, I assume and, they're going to yeah, jump to that conclusion. Yeah, yeah, they would. And let me tell you how, um, how aware firefighters are relative to something like this. They know when they see an orientation of a body like this that I've seen, not to mention two bodies. They know that once they've called, they've called safe at the scene. Okay. They are to back out at that moment in time, because they know that they're in the midst of a crime scene, a homicide. Wait a minute. Okay. You said call safe. What does that mean to call? That means that the all clear is the, the fire essentially has been, has been extinguished. And this is the other thing. The structure has to be declared safe so that if anybody else is going to go in, um, they have to render it safe in order to facilitate any kind of examination. And they, they actually have some departments will have, I've seen a couple of things. Uh, some departments will actually have, uh, hydraulic jacks that they will bring in to support beams. It's like an immediate thing that they can kind of go and raise these things up to support the ceiling temporarily, 
so that if you walk through it, it's not going to collapse on the investigators or anybody else that's doing any kind of uh, remediation work, you know, inside of that environment. They're not there permanently because in most, you know, critically damaged structures, they're going down to the ground. They're going to be torn down. But you have to freeze that moment. Um, so that it can be assessed and that you can go in and try to understand what happens when you find two bodies though, uh, this kicks it up to another level. This is not just like, Oh, gee whiz. We left, you know, we left something on the stove and the house caught a blaze. And, and here's another thing. When you get into a location where there's been an explosion and you can, let me try to explain this to you. When you look for a point of origin with a fire and a rule of thumb about fires is that wherever, and it seems very simplistic, but sometimes people forget when, when you do your assessment at a fire scene, you look for where there is the most damage that has occurred to a specific location. Let's say you've got North, East, South, West walls. Okay. Mm -hmm. On the west wall, the wall is severely charred. As a matter of fact, it's burned all the way through the drywall. You can see the exterior. Uh, you can see the the, the charred uh, two-by-fours in the wall, the studs. And as a matter of fact, uh, the insulation's been burned away, and you can actually see holes in the siding outside, so you can see daylight. You know that there's been an intense fire there. And you also can appreciate the growth of fire where it goes up because what is fire always doing? Fire is always seeking oxygen because that's the true, that is the true fuel for fire. And we look at fire from the perspective of it's a multi-stage event. You have to have an initiator, which is going to be like a flame. Okay. Uh, Then in cases of arson, you're looking for an accelerant, uh, perhaps. Now, there are other things that can be used to start a uh, suspicious fire, and it's not necessarily an accelerant like gas or propane or diesel or anything like that, but most of the time it's going to be be a gas. And many times with gas, if someone walks in with a, a, you know, a jug of gasoline, they will take it and fling it at a wall, and you'll get what are called splash patterns. And Dave, you're, you're a radio guy, so you understand what sound waves look like. And so just imagine a burned in sound wave to a wall where it's, it's peaking, it's got valleys and you it's almost like splashed water and the fire will track along that as it's set ablaze. And then it consumes that area. And sometimes that splash pattern can be, and then it spreads out. So where the least amount of damage there's going to be, that generally means that there was no accelerant in that area, but it still might be a fuel source like the drywall or furniture or any of this other stuff that's in the room that's kind of helping it out. But it has to have an what's referred to as an uninhibited supply of oxygen to continue to burn. And that's why fires go up. You know, they're seeking oxygen. The fire is seeking oxygen. I'm talking about fire like it's like it's a human being, but it is it's seeking oxygen in order to sustain it, sustain itself. And that's why you'll see, you know, people in, you know, if you're in a you have a kitchen fire you know, you'll see the the pictures of firefighters demonstrating their gear, how they'll take a blanket and they'll throw it over to suffocate it, to, to you know, to kind of knock it down. You put a blanket on somebody and, you know, you roll them around the ground. It has to have oxygen. When you get into an environment like this where 
you've got this idea as an investigator. I have to determine where the fire started, and then I have to assess the bodies, their position relative to the fire. Is there any indication that they were alive? And who the heck lays down side by side with one another and looks like they've been laid out for their burial? That that's that's something that that just doesn't jibe when you think about it. So the circumstances with this particular case are super bizarre, and they're kind of away from the fire, if you will. Uh, you know, and they're you know, and why if a fire starts on the first floor and you've got a basement, why are you going to go down to the basement if there's not, say, for instance, an easy way to get out of the house? Now, maybe you're trying to flee the fire. Maybe you go down the staircase. You can't get out the door. But most people are going to try to get to a window. They're going to try to get to a door to get out and get away. These people didn't do that. And, hey, they lived here. Even in the midst of the fire, they knew where the exits were. And according to the fire people, not only did they know where the exits were, they had been drugged. There was evidence they had been drugged into place. So what did the firemen do then? They know these people didn't just, there's something else going on. Are these bodies totally burned, Joe? No, probably okay. not. I, I would assume that they're not. And one of the things that, one of the fascinating things about bodies that are exposed to intense heat, and this doesn't happen with bodies that are in a fire that are not exposed to really intense heat, is that bodies will assume what's referred to as a pugilistic position and pugilism is an old term for boxing. Yeah. Okay. So we're talking so, hands up in front of your face. Yeah, exactly. So if people, if our friends in the audience will just remember that what you're looking for in a pugilistic pose in a fire desk is that the hands, the fist will actually clench. Sometimes the arms at the elbows and the shoulders will draw in toward the bodies and the legs will draw up and you'll see them almost in a fetal like position, but the hands will be drawn up. And for years we've, we've referred to this as a pugilistic posture. And this comes about as a result of all of the connective tissue. Okay. Uh, the, the tendons in particular that are contracting as a result of high heat and that contract in toward the body like this. And you get a very tense posture like this. Um, and it has nothing to do with trying to gauge whether or not someone was alive or dead at the time that the fire started. It has nothing to do. It's simply the exposure to heat that creates that. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet that's right up to $1,500 again sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in Ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park that's 1-800-GAMBLER
you may think that you've been dirty before. Maybe you've tromped through the mud in an old pair of boots. Maybe you've slid down a wet hill. You got grass stains all over you and mud. You don't know dirty until you have walked through a house fire. There is nothing you can do to come out clean. And not only are you going to come out dirty, you're going to, the, because you're walking through ashes that are wet and they're adhering to you. To every, if you brush up against something, you're contaminated with this. It's certainly all over your shoes. And here's the other thing. For days afterwards, you're going to smell like smoke, period. You will smell like smoke uh, anywhere you go. Even after you take a shower, sometimes you can still smell it in your hair. Uh, even days afterwards, it's one of those things. And you talk, talk to firefighters. I'm more acutely aware of it because I'm not a firefighter. Firefighters, like, I've still got enough little boy in me that I can't help it. I want to stop at a fire station when I'm driving by. I just want to see the trucks. You know, I've taken my grandkids to see the trucks at the fire because I dig firehouses. I dig firefighters. I think they're cool, but you know, you get that smell on you and it's really hard to get rid of. So that's, that is an indicator of the chaos that you're walking into when you walk. It's not just a standard crime scene. It is something that is above and beyond anything else that you might work. Okay. So now we know we've got two bodies. We've got, uh, Joanna Gormley and her husband, Ted, Joanna is 73, Ted is 71, and they are both, they've been positioned in the basement. They've been drugged down the stairs. They know now, the firemen do, this is a, they didn't die from fire. Uh, They can look at the bodies and know their position, know their placement. They've been drugged there. Yes, there's a fire upstairs. We've dealt with that. Now they call in the investigators. Um, Are they going to call you in, Joe? Are you going to come in and look at the bodies as they're laid out on the floor? Yeah. And what are you yeah. going to see? And in these cases, I know what you're going to see and it's pretty despicable, but I got questions for you about both of them. Cause the, what happened to Joanna and, and Ted are different that want very specific injuries here. Uh, yeah. And we, we do go out to the scenes, the ME investigators, coroner investigators, and we conduct our assessment. Uh, we'll be there with the arson investigators. They're spun up as well. Sometimes detectives will come out, but this is the unique thing about arson investigators that people might not realize. In many jurisdictions, arson investigators, though they work for the fire service, are also post-certified police officers, and they can come into this role in two different ways. They can either, either previously have been firefighters, and they're sent to the police academy and then sent to arson school, or can happen in the reverse. You'll have police officers that want to become arson investigators, and they'll actually go f- through the fire academy and, and then become arson investigators because you have to understand the nature of it because fire is such a dynamic event that occurs. And so they would be out there with me, crime scene photographers, uh, any kind of other uh, forensic, uh, forensic investigators that might be there to collect evidence at the direction of the arson investigator. And you have to have a very particular skill set in order to do this because when you look at the scene around you, it's very confusing. Uh, you know, you, you're looking at shades of black and gray. That's about it. That that's really, and you have no lighting. So you have to bring in lights right? because the electricity is all shut down. And so in order to illuminate anything there, so when you're doing these exams on these bodies at the scene, 
you're, you're looking for any kind of trauma that there might be that you can still pick up on. And these bodies, there's a high probability with these bodies. If the house is super saturated with water, the bodies are going to be super saturated with water. So you're thinking, oh my gosh, I've lost evidence. All right. Now, Joe, in this particular case where the people right away, they know we've got two senior citizens dead. They are not, they didn't die from the fire. Right. Are you going to, are you going to look at their bodies in there and start really doing an investigation and finding out the wounds? Cause in this particular case, we know they were stabbed to death. These two older people were stabbed to death in their own home. And if I'm, I'm the outside looking in, I'm thinking fire didn't kill them. There's two of them dead. And we know we got a 29 year old grandson who's not here. What really happened? Well, you're going to find Joanna has been stabbed in the throat. Joanna Gormley is 73 years old. She's been stabbed in the throat multiple times, right? But Ted Ralston is 71. He's been stabbed in the chest. Is there a difference to you when you see very specific injuries that are different? Yeah, there, there is. And it's the orientation to the bodies at the time of the attack. Uh, what do you have access to? And also, if here's another thing. When, when, I, hear, when I hear of any, any individual that is being attacked, uh, in the region of the head, there's a deeper thing going on here. Uh, and I think that probably some of these injuries probably extend up beneath the chin, these sort of things. It's almost like an attack on that person. Who, who are we as people? Well, when we look in the mirror, we identify ourselves with our faces. We wake up with it every morning for good or for bad, bad in my case, you know, I stare into a mirror. So when you have a, uh, a suspect that is attaching, attacking someone. We've talked about this before on body bags. There's an attempt to desecrate the body perhaps, or to mutilate the body. First thing that people go for is the face, um, you know, stabbing in the chest. Uh, yeah, it's, you know, it's equally, uh, lethal. However, if you're stabbed in the neck, uh, are you attempting to disfigure them? Or are you attempting to get to the viscera beneath uh, beneath the skin in the neck to try to get down to the major vessels? Or are you trying to cut their throat? Or are you trying to cut their airway? Um, it, it's almost an unsurvivable event in either case. And in this particular case where we're dealing with the firemen coming in, finding the bodies and fairly quickly realizing what is and isn't going on. We know that Ezra Ralston, 29 years old, lives there with his uh, grandparents but as police begin investigating they start finding out a few things um first things first <laughs> ezra has contacted his dad and said hey grandma and grandpa are sick they think they have covid um, i think they have to go to the hospital he's making up stories about right. to cover what's going on grandma they're sick don't come and check on them they got covid kind of thing meanwhile as police think about it, this is a fairly small community, isolated area in terms of it being on this peninsula. Mom calls police. I uh, don't know where my son is. Um, he has some issues. He's got mental issues. So the police are getting these calls. Hey, man, my son just said that my parents have uh, COVID. Their house just burned down. And by the way, my now the wife is saying, hey, he's crazy. Uh, so the police immediately are looking at Ezra uh, Ralston as we better talk to this guy, Joe. Now, when they find Ezra Ralston, are they going to find evidence of setting a fire? Are they going to find evidence of using a knife on Ezra? 
Are they going to are they going to find this on him? I would think with a knife, he might have cuts on his hands. He's fought two old people. He could because it's a very intimate situation and dependent upon the uh, physical limitations of the victim or lack thereof, uh, the assailant could have injuries on them. You know, you can have evidence that someone has fought back. Uh, particularly, this is a very personal thing. This is not like taking a 38 caliber revolver and firing from 15 feet away and shooting them dead. No, you, you have to be very intimately in their space. You have to know them and you have to be resolute at what you're doing because once you make that first, um, that first stab wound into this living person, they're going to react. Their pain centers are going to fire off and they're going to try to thwart further attack if they're awake when this is going on. And even if they're asleep, they're going to wake up. So you have to be resolute in this. Now, you know, I'm glad yeah. you just brought that up, Joe, because that's something that came out in the investigation. Ezra Ralston had planned on doing this when they were asleep. Right. The original plan was to kill them in their sleep, but they were awake. They wouldn't go to sleep. And he was texting his girlfriend, Rebecca Niebauer, and he said, they're, they're awake. And so she was actually recommending things for him to do to take them out while they're awake. And that's what I was wondering if that had something to do with the injuries because they were awake. They were not asleep as he had hoped. And so the grandma gets it across the neck. Grandfather gets it in the chest. Yeah, uh, very well. Uh, you know, we have to think that if, if they had been asleep, maybe both of the individuals would have had their throats cut, perhaps. Uh, you would have them in truly an asymmetrical position where the assailant is over them and completely dominating them. But, you know, you can achieve these kind of injuries if both individuals are seated. But if you're doing it in their presence, in the, if you're attacking one person in the presence of another, okay, you're going to have a reaction if they're both awake. So what happens? Okay, maybe you walk up and you stab grandpa in the chest. He, you know, he has an awareness. He screams out. He tries to fend this off. Grandma is awake or she's awake and she is alert and she's seeing what's happening to her husband. And then suddenly you have to reach over and grab her. What are you going to do with a knife where you're going to take it and you're going to stick it in her throat? And, and another thing that's quite kind of interesting, if she is the second victim in this case, she may have been screaming out. Um, you know, there might be an attempt to, to quieten her. And by quieten her, I mean, you cut her throat. Uh, you try to incise her throat uh, and you're going to inhibit her ability to scream out. Now, they kind of live in isolation. But, you know, if you're an intimate, if you're a family member like this, it doesn't matter if there's nobody for 20 miles around. This same woman for years who has taken care of you has walked into your bedroom perhaps early in the morning and says, hey, uh, uh, it's time to get up, Ezra. I've got breakfast ready for you. That same person that has said this to you for years and years is now screaming out for her life. My God, what are you doing? You know, you want to silence her as quickly as possible. And so, yeah, the dynamics of this can change very, very quickly, Dave. Well, you know, this is one of those situations, Joe, as the investigation rolled it off, it came down to, you mentioned at the very early part of the show about communal living, a commune. Ezra Ralston, living with his grandparents, tells his girlfriend, I'm tired of living with them. His girlfriend and they have two other friends. They have this crazy idea of, I don't know, going back to the 60s and starting their own commune. And they think this house on the peninsula would be a great place to start. 
And so instead of waiting for the old people to die, they're not that old, actually. You know, back in the day, 71, 73, that was old. Joe, that's yeah. not old anymore. No. That, I mean, and I know it's not just because you and I are getting older, but it used to be when people died in their late 50s, they would say he had a good life. Hey, he died yeah. a little young, but good. I mean, my grandmother died at 58. She lived a good life. Right. Now, 71 and 73, mm -mm, you're still working full time in a lot of cases. The oh, yeah. president you of have the United to. States is in his 80s, for crying yeah. out loud. You know, right. Anyway, so Ezra Ralston is texting his girlfriend. He's afraid now because they aren't asleep. They're awake. And, he, and she is writing back suggestions as to what to do to and, and she's encouraging him. OK, how she can keep everything calm, how he can keep things calm rather while he commits these murders. And she's going, you got this, babe. You got I mean, I love you so much. I can't believe you're so strong. You've got this. She's encouraging him to kill the grandparents who took him in. This is what happens. She's lit a fire here or maybe she has metaphorically okay. lit a fire. Uh, yeah, she has pour poured fuel onto the fire that already existed. She's encouraging him. She is as guilty as he is in my mind. You're so uh, amazing. You got this. She wrote that to him. I know. And after he has slaughtered his grandparents, he's communicating with his girlfriend about cleaning up the scene with bleach. He makes the comment, Dave, that it's the use of the bleach is beginning to make the home smell as though it is a quote unquote, a science experiment with dead frogs. This is a real loving grandson. It smells like dead frogs. Here's something that I, I learned from experience over the years of working in the morgue. Blood has got a, uh, some people describe it as a sickly sweet smell, but for me, blood always has almost like a metallic odor to it, particularly when you get a large amount of it, you know, that you're inhalating, particularly if you're not used to it. So it will have a strange almost metallic smell to it. And you combine that with introducing bleach, pure bleach into an environment in order to cover everything up. And I can only imagine that, I, you know, I guess many people believe that if you're going to pour bleach on something, it's going to eradicate certain types of evidence. And in fact, I think that probably to a certain degree it will. However, there is certain things you cannot eradicate. You cannot erad eradicate the fact that circumstantially you live with these people, um, that you have been texting back and forth with your girlfriend. You've got an electronic breadcrumb. Crumb, you've got an electronic breadcrumb there. And then on top of that, you cannot eradicate those stab wounds. There is no way that you can make those disappear and go away. It doesn't matter how much bleach you pour on them. So at the end, you know, you begin to think, well, the, the best thing that I can do, because most arsonists think this way, um, they think that if I apply fire, if I apply fire, uh, I'm going to eradicate everything. That's, so he's gone up in levels. He's tried to hide the bodies in the basement. He's tried to apply bleach to them. And on top of it, now we're going to douse everything in gasoline and not just a little bit of gasoline, but five, five containers of gasoline. And it just so happens that this propane tank explodes. It's difficult to figure any of this out, Joe, because with the propane explosion, I have to wonder if Ezra Ralston had a plan. Criminally speaking, his girlfriend, fiance, Rebecca Neubauer, she pleaded guilty to second degree murder and conspiracy to commit murder and was sentenced to 33 years and four months in prison. Ezra Ralston, at 29, was convicted of two counts of aggravated murder, conspiracy to commit murder, and first-degree arson by a jury. He received a mandatory sentence of life without parole. 
Joe, what do you think about Ezra Ralston's endgame? Did he just ponder for a moment that everything would vaporize, that everything would be gone? And of course, here's the rub. People that burn things up might think that they're getting rid of evidence, but in our world, in the world of forensics, you're just creating more. I'm Joseph Scott Morgan, and this is Body Bags. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com.